Yo, what up? This is your boy Checo. This is your boy Noi. What up? And this is Compas Unfiltered. Thank you guys for listening, for watching. Make sure you guys follow all of our social media. Subscribe and like. And make sure you go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you drop a comment on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe. Yes, sir. Enjoy the episode. Episode 126. Salud, compa. Saludita. Welcome back to another episode of Compas Unfiltered. And I want to... Before I introduce my guest, this this episode has been on my bucket list if you guys have been listening to to us for a while. So I'm happy to have you on. Sharice, thank, thank you for you. coming on Compass Unfiltered. Of course. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. This is uh so first question right off the bat, and we kinda we're gonna start going into it, but that's why I wanted to stop and go in here. Mm-hmm. You're a therapist. Yep. But there's a when we talked about the what's the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist? Mm-hmm. So besides the I'm guessing the pay. <laughs> oh, sure. Very <laughs> what, big difference. What's what's pay. what else is the difference between that? Yeah, so um there's when thinking about like mental health professionals, there's actually a few different um differentials with like licensure and everything. So a psychiatrist has like a medical doctor degree oh. and they can prescribe medicine and all of that. And then um a therapist, we don't prescribe medicine or anything like that. I know in other states I'm not sure where, but I have heard that therapists are allowed to prescribe medicine in other states. Obviously, um, you know, Illinois we don't. That would have been cool, but yeah, we don't. Um so psychiatrists typically like they, they do talk to their clients, um, but therapists definitely go way more in depth, um, especially if you're thinking like of a ho- at a hospital, right? Ther- therapists overall, we talk the majority of the time with them, and then psychiatrists usually, after you have the initial session with them, which could be like 30 minutes or whatever, after that, they probably just check in with you for like 10 minutes. So that's always going to be my question. So it's almost like, yeah, kind of like a doctor, and mm-hmm. then like the nurse takes care of you, right? Like. That's kind of how it goes when you go to a hospital. Like the doctor, at least when I've gone when mm-hmm. I've gone to the hospital, it's like, yeah, you see the doctor, but the nurse is there, kind of like around the clock. You yeah, know? in the hospital for sure. So for you, it would kind of be the same thing. Like, a, uh, you're kind of you're there more often. You're, oh, you're talking sure. to the to the yeah. patient more than, yeah. than uh, actual. Um, like typically, I'll see them once a week or whatever, and then a psychiatrist. They'll see them like once a month for a certain amount of time, but then usually it goes to like every ninety days. And gotcha. it's usually just a check-in. How are you doing? How are the meds? You feel like they're working? Yes, no. Let's adapt. So it's usually just a check-in after that first and initial d- session. Do you report to a psychiatrist? Like, no. Th- okay. Um, unless, like, if I have a client that does see a psychiatrist, a lot of the times I want to get a release of information so I can talk to their psychiatrist. But it's like no relation or anything. We're just talking about a client, making sure we're on the same page. That. When you say talking about a client, you and the psychiatrist, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, us talking about our mutual client. Which doesn't happen often? Um, No, not really, surprisingly. That, that's kinda, yeah, that's kind of weird. Because you think it is, that, right? That, yeah, you think that that would have uh, a lot of uh, a lot to do with getting the client better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's communicating between you and the psychiatrist. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. That just sounds weird the way, because you're like, no, not really. I'm like, oh. Yeah, surprisingly, so far, you know, um, in my private practice experience, not a lot of my clients actually take medication. A lot of people that go to therapy um, are trying to avoid taking medication. They want to work through the issues or whatever they're going through that's 
um, like causing the anxiety or whatever it is before they go to meds. A lot of people see medication as like the very, very last resort. I am going to follow up on, on uh, I have a question for the, for medication, but mm-hmm. I do want to ask, is there uh, like by law, can you not, t- like, you know, will they have that where you, you can't share information? Oh, for sure. HIPAA. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's for therapists as well. And as for as psychiatrists as well. Yeah. So okay. I can't talk to anyone outside of my client unless they like give me their signature on our release of information. Tell me I can. Um, so even for minors, like if they're over 12, we usually want to get their consent to in order to even talk to their parents. If they're under 12, though, like we obviously t- can talk to their parents without a release of information. It's always about making sure our client feels comfortable, though. I never want to go across their boundaries or share something they don't they didn't want me to share. So if they do sign a release and um, want me to talk to their parents or whatever, I always double check what I'm going to talk to their parent or other doctor about before I go on and make that conversation. What about police? Like if they need to talk to you for something, what what do they need? They need like uh, what would they be like? Not a warrant, but what? Uh, God damn it! You know <laughs> what I'm talking about? Like a like subpoena? Would would they need that in order to talk to you about a, a client? Um, so a patient. Uh, I think it depends. Um, when I worked in the hospital, we did have some um patients here and there that actually had warrants out or. We weren't sure if they had a warrant, so we had to contact police and everything. But in private practice, um, I mean, I think the only reason police would try and talk to me if it was like a safety issue. Like right. if they were going to hurt someone or they are going to hurt yeah. themselves? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I think it would be me contacting them versus oh, okay. police so- trying to contact me. Um, like if I felt, like you said, if I felt my client was going to hurt themselves or someone else, I would have to make that call. And at that point, you are able to talk about your client's issues or no? So, I mean, I've never had to do it. Um, But I think if I had to, I would give them as little information as possible and just let them know, like, hey, here's a situation. And then, like, other presenting things that play a role in that. Like, I'm not going to tell them their whole Anything pertaining to that situation only. Right. That's it. Yeah. And by law, you're, you're covered? For by doing that, like yeah. they can't come at you or, or come they, they after can, you. They or, can, they can try. Yeah, they definitely can. Um, they can still sue you or whatever. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but um, that's why we always like. I don't own the private practice. My boss does, and she like has no problem contacting her lawyer and just making sure everything's okay. Because that's the last thing I ever want to do is put someone in a position where they feel like I wronged them. Yeah. And they want to sue me, um, but they definitely can. Whether they think, whether I was in the right or not, or whether I was trying to keep them alive or not, people are very particular with their privacy. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So you would definitely talk to your boss, and your boss would give you the okay, like, yeah, oh, go ahead. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. She is. So even though I have like the high highest licensure, um, I definitely still pass things along with my boss too, just because she has way more experience than me. Um, and she's awesome. She's like one of my favorite bosses ever. So I completely feel comfortable shooting her an email or calling her about anything that I'm second guessing. And going back to the medication, mm-hmm. um, do you kind of recommend try to solve it yourself before taking meds? Um, like I think how do you it, like personal? How do you feel about it? I think it depends on the case. Um, 
I always want my clients to definitely see if we can figure it out before they jump to medication, but I think it definitely depends on the acuity level as well. Like if they're so worked up that we can't work on coping skills or we can't get work through trauma or anything like that, then I think sometimes I do recommend medication to bring them down to baseline so that we can work through that stuff. But medication um, can sometimes be temporary. So for example, um, like if I have a client with really strong like OCD tendencies because of a lot of anxiety at that moment. Sometimes they can take medication for a while and then as soon as they're able to like get through the coping skills, process what's really going on, then they can wean themselves off of medication because they have better skills to handle it moving forward. Gotcha. Because I mean, I I also, I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been diagnosed, I guess. Mm -hmm. I've never actually gone to a, a therapist or a doctor or anything like that. Um, but I just feel it right. Oh, and, sure. and just by talking to other people, it's like, Oh, I feel like this and like that. And I've been diagnosed with uh, anxiety. It's like, shit. So do I, I, mm -hmm. I feel exactly the same way. But, um, and I, and I've talked to my doctor about it. This is a general family uh, practice doctor Yeah. where he was like, Oh, well maybe we should try this, uh, some kind of medication. I don't know what he was going to try to prescribe me, but I try to avoid all medication. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I feel like you can just kind of do it on your own. Mm hmm. Like you said, maybe some people can't and, and uh, they need that help. But what I've noticed, it's and it's weird. Maybe it's just me. I don't know if um, you might you might say different, but it almost feels like your diet has a part to do with it, like a huge part. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like when I'm like eating like shit mm -hmm. and I'm just drinking, I'm, you know, whatever. That's when my anxiety kicks in, mm -hmm. like higher. Like yeah. way higher. Yeah. And when I try to eat cleaner, try to like stick to water or whatever, I feel fucking great. Mm -hmm. Like it's weird. That's why I'm like, man, do I have anxiety or is it just like my eating habits? Because anxiety, it's like a, a chemical imbalance, right? Uh, and I don't maybe trauma as well. Oh, for sure. I think a lot of which <laughs> could, I could go on a huge tangent, but I think trauma is probably the source of maybe 70% of mental illness. Um, but, and also uh, family physicians. I also have some of my clients that prefer that working with their family physicians over psychiatrists, just because they already have that, like some of them have been with their physician, you know, since they were little. So it's all about comfort level, but um, I usually suggest that they go to a psychiatrist just because they're specialized in mental health right. versus, you know, a, a private practice physician um, kind of broader field. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what made you get into this field? So uh, when I was in elementary school maybe middle school i think that's when criminal minds blew up the show um and i always thought it was really cool how they like profile the serial killers and everything and i was like hey that might be cool trying to figure out how people's mind works so i initially thought i would you know go to school and um grow up to be a psychiatrist but after getting to i think undergrad um i realized that I don't want to focus on medicine and treating people that way. I really want to be able to talk to them and kind of dig deeper and help them process through that. So I definitely changed my route 
and wanted to be a therapist instead. But I think I was always like focused on the mental health field as a whole. Do you suffer from any kind of mental health? Um, um, I think I've struggled with anxiety probably anxiety. since elementary school. Sometimes real bad to where like I didn't want to leave the house. Um, it got pretty bad in high school, but I yeah I remember it started in elementary school, but wow. it's in a okay place now. You know it kind of depends like what you were saying, whatever's going on or um, can definitely enhance it or not make it as worse. But the three things I tell everyone for mental health is how you eat, how you sleep, and how you exercise. Before you go to therapy or you get medication or anything, you should see what's going on with those three and see if you, because I think, you know, everyone talks about how exercise makes everyone feel better, right? And a lot of the times I have seen people's anxiety or depression get better just by changing that up. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know me personally, I feel way better when I'm active. I'm in a much better headspace. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And like, like the last, uh, I want to say like the last month or so, like my anxiety was kind of high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel, like I said, I, I haven't been diagnosed. I, I, I haven't talked to anyone about it, but I feel like I have like social anxiety and also like meeting new people. Um, and for the last month or so, like it's definitely kicked, you know, it's kicked on. Uh, it kicks in a lot more. Mm-hmm. But for the last week or so, I've been kind of eating cleaner, you know, trying not to drink and stick to water. And that's where I'm like, man, I feel I feel a lot better, like mm-hmm. a lot better. I'm like, man, I should just keep doing this, you know, because mm-hmm. at least for me, it, it helps. And um, I'm, I'm just trying to stay away from uh, medicine and whatnot. But um, I also going back to medicine, I also want to bring mm-hmm. up, like, what do you feel about like marijuana, psychedelics? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that helps? Do you think that makes it worse? Um, I actually thought that the psychedelic stuff was pretty cool. When I was in graduate school, um, I know a lot of it is still being studied and um, researched and everything. I actually had a professor um, when I was getting my degree that actually had a private practice, I believe, in the city. But um, they would do, like, they would have their clients take ketamine before they came. And then they would do, once they're they come in, they're already, you know, high on it or whatever you want to say ready for yeah. a session and yeah ready for a session and then we'll see how that goes so i think um marijuana and um psychedelics could definitely help but i also you know want to base it off research so i know marijuana has helped a lot of people um mental health physical health everything yeah. so i'm f- completely fine with it like with my clients or even my family, you know, want to dabble in that psychedelic. So I might wait to see more research on that. Um, broaden my horizons. Yeah. Cause you, so, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest on this, mm-hmm. but I tried mushrooms. Mm-hmm. They, we had, a we had, um, the homie David and, uh, he gifted us some mushrooms, you know, he swears by it. Um, I, I think I microdosed. I don't know if mm-hmm. I even did it correctly, but I definitely felt good. The two times that I tried it, like mm-hmm. I, I was able to go to sleep. I felt awesome. And then I'm like, well, maybe if I take some more, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it'll, it'll it'll help. Then I felt horrible. Mm-hmm. Like when I yeah. took more, more than what 
than I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm like, maybe this isn't for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't, you know, like, I, I felt funny. I almost felt like, um, you know, when you, I don't even, well, when you're drunk and like the room is spinning, mm-hmm. that's how I felt. Ooh. And I was just like, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the part that you don't look forward to when exactly. you're getting, when you're drunk and you're yeah. blacking out, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I've actually had um, clients before that have microdosed and say it was working really well for them to the point where, like, they didn't think they needed their medication anymore. But it was it was a short-term thing, so I'll have to wait and see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about shrooms, right? With the shrooms, microdosing? Yeah. yeah. Shrooms. I mean, but a, a lot of, whether I was working in the hospital, I probably practiced a lot of people smoke marijuana. Yeah. I think it helps for some. For some. For some. Yeah, for some, I definitely think that it could help, but I know some people it does make it worse. Or once they smoke it for so long, it actually flips the effects and like it make them feel good for a while. And then all of a sudden it does a 180 and their anxiety just gets really bad from it. Yeah, I definitely don't want that because I, I think only one time I had like a panic attack. Like mm-hmm. from my anxiety, mm-hmm. and that's like the worst. Like you're, you, oh, know, you sure. feel like you're dying. You're having a heart attack. Like mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on. I end up in the hospital, and they're like, "You're fine, dude. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is wrong with you." And I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, "My heart's racing. My heart's pounding. Yeah. Like, they're like nothing's wrong, man. Like you're fine." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Fuck." I'm that's like, this is crazy. Because sometimes you actually feel like I'm dying. Yeah, it gets real bad, yeah. and then they're like, "It's just in your head." It's like what, and that's crazy to think that your head can do that to you, right? To make you feel like you're having a heart attack mm-hmm. or or you're dying or right. whatever, whatever feel, whatever you're going through, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was crazy. Um, what do you think about? I mean, back to like uh, psychedelics. I mean, I don't even know this is psychedelic, but ayahuasca. Oh, I've never if, heard of it. You never heard of it? No. What is it? Is that the or not? Is it ayahuasca or what is it called? Yeah, isn't the, it the plant. The plant. I guess it, it kind of puts you in that state. It's like I guess like a psychedelic where mm-hmm. it, it but it lasts what um what like a, hours. a few hours. Oh really? Yeah, but supposedly it helps a lot of people. I mean, uh, almost gets rid of anxiety or depression or, or mm-hmm. whatever they're battling. But then I also do hear people that they do it a few times. So it should maybe it's not a one time thing. Maybe you got to do it every so often. So the guy that came here that that gave us the shrooms, he was the one that that's tried it, um, and obviously in a controlled room. Mm-hmm. So he goes and he's dealing through traumas through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I mean, like he said, he swears by it. He says it's a, it's a good thing. It helps him. And I mean, he seems to be in a good space, right? Yeah. I'll have to look more into that yeah, stuff. Ayahuasca yeah. is what it's called. I'll have to look it's- more into it because I don't think I've even looked at psychedelic research or any of that in a while. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for education. Like, I love learning new things. Like, if I could be a permanent student, I would. The only problem I have have issues with is the testing and the homework. Uh, if I didn't have that, I would stay in school forever. I thought you were going to say the loans. I was, I was, <laughs> that's that's too, another that thing, too. dude. Yeah. Too. Well, he was yeah. on here talking about it. I'm not sure how much we talked about it on the episode, but... um. We'll send you the link. Maybe on the way home, you'll listen yeah, to that one and for see sure. what, you know, see what, how he expresses yeah. himself about uh, mushrooms and, and ayahuasca. Since you got the two-hour drive. Yeah. Which, <laughs> sorry, by the way. I okay. did not know you were that far out. <laughs> okay. you're, you're our uh, second guest out of state. 
Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, anytime we can advocate for mental health is worth the drive. Is worth the drive. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, since you were talking about how you kind of got into it because of, like, true crime and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, and, and it you uh, are curious how the mind works, right, for, for I guess, yeah. for that. Did you learn anything as far as that? Like, is there anything you could tell us that, like, why what would make someone do that? I don't know if that's something they like kinda... all the way to like serial killers, like yeah, people that do yeah. all that. Um, I am not sure to be honest. Uh, you know, some people that were in the hospital, you know, they did some dangerous things, but I think a lot of people that get into tough positions um, is because of trauma. You know, the nature and nurture. Um, argument all the time you know how people are raised and the environment that they are in as they grow up I think plays a huge role um to the point of killing someone I have no idea I'll have to look into that more there I remember actually in undergrad when I was taking one of my psychology gen eds um they we were talking about like if we could pinpoint what gene or what aspect biologically that makes someone a serial killer, what would we do with that? Like, I think it kind of is like the the one, um, I think Tom Cruise movie where they like can predict people doing crimes and stuff. So they arrest them before it happens. So I'm, I would, it was a great debate. Uh. If we knew what it took to be a serial killer, would you stop them before they could even do that? And that's an incredible debate. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there will ever be answers to that. What is the most common thing that you do deal with? Like you in see private cl- practice or hospital? I would say private, private, private practice, practice, because this is going to be the more common, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, at least to our listeners, you know. Yeah. So I think. Um, so, like I mentioned before, I think seventy percent of mental health, pe- mental illness, or mental health. Um, whichever one you want to use, is from trauma. Whether it's childhood trauma, relationship trauma, whatever it is, I think it all resorts back usually to trauma. So I would say the majority of me working with clients is about trauma that we're working through. But I would say um, typically I work with people with anxiety, um, borderline personality disorder, depression, bipolar that's usually the typical, but almost every client I have, we're working through trauma. And I, like, whenever you are talking to someone and they're, do you know when they're like BSing and like, they're not opening up fully or they're, they, they really don't want the help or is it always, you're always just battling through that and saying, Hey, we're, I'm going to get to the core of this person. Like, do you see it as a challenge? How do you take that? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I could tell a hundred percent. When someone's like BSing or lying or anything, um, I think what I take out of it is like, if they are BSing or lying, what is that reason? So like mm. something I learned in grad school is that if someone told told you they like cut up their arm, they were self harming real bad. Do you actually need to lift their sleeve and see it, or can you just like work on why they did that? If that makes sense, 
So do you lift or sleep? Because <laughs> I kind of want to see it. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I don't think I need to like physically see it in order to work through what's so actually you, going on. You just take their word for it and then move on and use that information moving forward I've, if it works for you. Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, um, if they're gonna present a certain way, I'm gonna see why that is, and use that. Um, yeah, I try to guide the client to where they want to go instead of telling them where to go. Um, so even if they're BSing or whatever, like what what are they going to get out of it if I'm poking it apart or trying to dig deeper than they're ready for? You know? Yeah. I want everyone to go at their own pace. What are three things that you think would make a bad therapist? A bad therapist? Yeah. <sighs> um, like the, that you are like, you you know, maybe you're mingling at a mm-hmm. social event with other therapists in downtown mm-hmm. Chicago and you're like, oh, this this person has these three things that yeah. that are probably not helping people. Number one, I think, is boundaries, which I think is always hard for therapists, is to make sure that we have appropriate boundaries. Um, I actually had a client telling me about a TikTok she watched, which was um, someone sharing like them texting with their psychiatrist. They're not their psychiatrist. Their therapist. And I was like, I, I personally would never text with a client i think um if you don't have appropriate boundaries there's a lot of lines that can be crossed either from you or from the client um and boundaries make up the whole therapeutic relationship if you don't have boundaries what are you um like just another friend right i don't want to be your friend like we are friendly we have a therapeutic relationship but i don't want it to cross the line where it makes one of us uncomfortable, you know? Mm. So I would say boundaries is a huge thing that we're always having to assess. Um, I mean, it could be different which with each client based on safety and all of that other stuff. But if you have bad boundaries, That's I wouldn't one. say you're a bad therapist, but, but it, could something, lead to something. it could lead so what are to some two? bad things happening. Two. Is this <laughs> a tough question? Um. I think some therapists, um, what we, well, what we all try to be is open-minded. So I think if you're pretty close-minded and set in your ways, that's a bad quality. You should probably work on it because, um, and I think, you know, we talk about theoretical approaches, right? And I always said I was person-centered because I want to adapt as my client needs instead of having one strict like DBT or CBT view and you just follow through with that because not everyone's going to fit one mold, right? So I adapt ideally with whatever my client needs. Three. What would be the third? That's a tough question. What makes a bad therapist? Um, Maybe their own accountability, I guess. Making sure they're on track and doing what needs to be done behind the scenes and everything. Um. Because I know for me, like, if I don't take my notes or everything, like, I'm going to lose track of what this client is supposed to be working on. You need to be on top of, like, their goals and how they're reaching them and everything in order to help them 100%. 
So I would say those three, I guess. I could probably come up with more if I had more time. But no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to see like what were three that came to the top, you know, yeah, top of the head right away. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I ask is because I'm I'm sure people are getting treated. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you have your therapist and that this is some of the things that you see in your therapist, maybe it's time to change. Never yeah. know. Yeah. Never so know. Trump. Exactly. Yeah. And I definitely think that um, as a therapist, we need to know our own limits. Like I know, for example, if someone wants, I've had this a couple times before where they want religious counseling. Like they they want someone who's like a Christian counselor. And that's not me. That is definitely not me. I'm not going to um, quote Bible verses or anything in therapy. I was just, you know, not raised strongly in church or anything like that. So I am very comfortable with telling people like, hey, I'm probably not the best option for you. Here are some referrals to people who might be better fit, fitting you. And I think that could also be a quality too for a therapist. Like, when do you say no? Because I'm not going to be the best client for everybody or best therapist for everybody. That's just not going to happen. Um, I wish I could, but like I said, one mold doesn't fit all. And people are going to bond with other people. So I've had, you know, I think every therapist has had clients that will come in once and then you won't hear from them again. If you don't connect with me or if I'm not your cup of tea, that's fine. I can help you find a different therapist. I can um, even talk you through like, hey, what are the things that I did wrong or that some things that bothered you? Can I work on it or where can we go from here? But I have no problem giving them referrals to other therapists and trying to help them find someone who better fits them. I think that definitely is a is a quality that needs to be had. So we're not going to hear you, you know, tell a client like, uh, just leave it up to God. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that. Um, I think that you know we're all in God's hands, but. It's not my job to tell you, hey, here's a Bible verse, stick to it. But some people like that. And I have no problem with people leaning into their faith. Like I have people that have a lot of anxiety around death, right? And sometimes we do talk about faith because if you believe that there's a heaven or there's reincarnation or anything, then maybe you have something to look forward to versus if you don't believe there's anything, you might fear death because that's it, right? So I have no problem talking about faith if they want to or if they lean into their faith. There's just certain limits that I know I have. I can't quote the Bible. Um, I don't know everything in it either because I didn't go to church. Um, I actually went to the Kingdom Hall growing up more. Um, So that's just one thing that I know someone would better fit them. As if it's religious, I can't do that. I'm gonna go back a little bit from what Noe has said, like about the kind of like the BSing. Yeah. Uh, but not really bullshit. It's just more so like when you're talking to someone. Sometimes it is. Some, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it is. Uh, is a lot of it's is it on like um, person to person or is it like over the phone for you? Um, or when you're talking. Like how to do your, I see my clients? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, COVID made things a little tricky, but I was still at the hospital and when COVID first started. So nothing really changed for me. When I was at the hospital, I was in person. There was no break when it was COVID. Um, but private practice, typically I see people in person. Okay. But I will do telehealth if needed because some people have crazy schedules 
or it's just not feasible to that for them to be off work and make it all the way into where I work. Um, so I see people both you, typically, um, I would say only one person I ever did a phone call with, and that was just an older client that couldn't really figure out the technical aspect. So typically it's either in person or telehealth over like a zoom. Gotcha. So when you're seeing these, uh, clients, uh, or, uh, Patient, I don't know what do you call them, clients or patients? Is clients. It client clients? Okay. Yeah, for private practice, I call them clients. Clients, okay. In the hospital, most people call patients. them patients, but I usually called them clients too. I didn't want to make them feel like a patient. Gotcha. They were struggling um, with enough. They yeah, need that yeah, title. Right. So when you're seeing these clients uh, in person, are you also like looking at like their mannerisms, like how they're, oh, how they're sure. acting? Yeah. So, not only are you listening to them, but then you're also like, oh, it keeps yeah. touching their hair, it keeps doing whatever. And like, mm-hmm. wh- what are, what does that, what does that mean to you? Like, what, what, uh, body like language? They, yeah, body language. I think body language is definitely huge, whether I'm working with couples, family, families, or individuals. That's why I usually prefer in person, but I could still do Zoom. It's just, you know, a little harder to see their behavior or whatever they're doing. Um, but, I wouldn't say it's like the main thing, but I can definitely tell like if you're fidgeting and everything, obviously you're nervous. Um, if you won't look at me, if you don't make you struggle with making eye contact, I think usually something's going on. Um, but I think I do use body language, maybe like 10% out of a hundred percent of the time. Okay. I'm always watching, right? but it doesn't always necessarily mean something. It could just be like they're nervous, you know? Yeah. But I do think body language is cool. Right. Outside of practice, mm-hmm. do you do that? Watch people's body yeah. language? I think my family would say 100%. I don't know. They always say that I don't turn it off and I'm just a therapist 100% of the time. I really try to turn it off because I don't want to be analyzing people everywhere I go. But sometimes I catch myself doing it. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that you catch and you're like, oh, why am I doing, why am I working right now? Like, what is something, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, um, I do think that I'm always trying to help people mm. in a way. And sometimes when my family or friends are confiding in me, like I am kind of going into therapist mode, like this is the route I would take them and everything. But I try to be, you know, just be present, be a, the ear. You don't need to do all the therapist stuff behind. Just be there for them. I think that's sometimes very hard for me is not to especially pick out like patterns. I think that's very hard because I know when I'm talking to my family members, they'll be saying things and in the back of my head. I'll be like, well, this is the reason why this is going on. But But I'm not going to say that. Yeah, they're going to find their own way to it. Um, but it's definitely hard to take my therapist hat off yeah. once I walk out the door. It's a, it sounds like it. Now, whenever you're dealing with a client, um, and I mean, the hope is for them to stop coming and to get oh, better, for right? Sure, yeah. Whenever they, you see that they don't want to stop coming, like this is like their comfort zone or mm-hmm. now they're just using you as a friend. It's not mm-hmm. really therapy anymore. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, they're just confining in you. How do you feel about that? Or how do you stop that? Or what what happens then? Like, whenever you feel like, okay, my, my work here is done, but yet this person keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Does that happen or no? Oh, for sure. I think we always, 
I mean, a lot of therapists probably say it, but I think there's always some clients where you're like, are they really getting anything out of therapy or are they just coming to come? Whether it's because they have an attachment to me or if, you know, some people just want to go to bed. You know what I mean? I think sometimes that's hard for me just to sit there and listen and not work through something like trauma because that's what I'm used to. So um, sometimes it's like we're sitting there for maybe 20 minutes and they've already run out of things to talk about. And I'm like, I don't, you're not wasting my time. I want to make sure you're getting your money's worth. I want to make sure I'm doing the best I can to help you. And if you're not using the whole time, am I helping you? So you verbalize this to them? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, no matter what. Because they'll come want. and vent to you about like a work, a bad work day or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, all right, what are we doing here, you know? Yeah, and I I have no problem um, with people venting out and everything, but I want to know, like, what are your goals? What are we working towards? Because I really do want them to get something out of therapy. Um, but I think conversation is always needed. So if they're coming just to vent, that's fine. But I would like, you know, to know that and prepare for that. So I'm not trying to do a hundred different directions with you. Yeah. Now you did mention like attachment. Have mm-hmm. you had like a guy or a girl have an attachment to you to the point where it's like stalker or like weird? <laughs> I actually yeah. had someone in the hospital um, that, and um, I was kind of uncomfortable in some of the therapy sessions that I had with this adult client. Um, just like kind of, throwing some borderline hitting on me but then once they were discharged like they kept calling me like, yo what's up yeah and leaving voicemails and everything and oh damn yeah. which is which is actually kind of weird because if you think of private practice versus a hospital in the hospital it's usually quick turnaround right people are only in there for like a week or so mm-hmm. so for someone to build that attachment i find that's interesting when you would think it would have any more private practice when you're getting to a deeper level and you're there for constantly yeah, meeting or whatever. Yeah. But I, I mean, I do have people that have attachment to me. Um, and I think to have an attachment to your therapist can be okay. If there's good boundaries, right? It sounds natural to be honest. I think so. Yeah. Because you want them to like you and you want them to have a therapeutic relationship with you. And I think when you're working through hard stuff and, um, stuff that really matters to you and you're trying to make all this progress and everything. I think it's normal to attach to the person that's helping you out with that. 100%. I agree with you. Yeah. But there has to be limits to it, right? I don't want you calling and emailing me all hours (laughs) of the day, trying to like tell me every second of your day. There has to be limits, but I have no problem with people having healthy attachments. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so I do want to ask something that I do want to get into some stories because yeah. you were kind of starting to tell us some, some stories that you had in the hospital. Um, but I do have a question about like influencers and, mm-hmm. you know, you see it more and more. Obviously, it's like mm-hmm. a common thing, but you do hear like influencers are the ones who have a lot of mental issues, you know, what I mean, or health or uh, disorders, whatever you want to call them. It's it's like almost like. You need to have that in order to be comfortable in front of a camera. Mm. It seems like, because like it's almost like every influencer I look at, or, or, or YouTuber, or whatever you want to call them, um, 
then later on, it's like, I have depression, I have anxiety, I have, you know, I'm bipolar, I'm this. I'm like, mm. holy shit. And it seems like normal people, quote unquote, I guess you want to call them, like, are not that comfortable in front of a camera mm. 24-7. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I've thought about, um, like, celebrities and how a lot of the really successful ones have, like, mental health struggles, whether you're thinking, like, Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, whoever, like a lot of them struggle with a lot of mental health issues. Robin and I think, Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people who have committed suicide. Um, I think that I think that there's a lot of pressure put on them to maintain certain things that can definitely enhance mental illness or mental health um, and diagnoses and everything. Um, I think I don't I don't know much about, you know, specifically influencers and their mental health, but I do think if you're going to be in a camera and everything um I don't know to be honest. Okay. I don't know if there's like a like what the correlation would be your link. Yeah, I do think that it could definitely cause some heightened mental illness because it's a lot of pressure. A lot gotcha. of people watching you will get to you. No matter who you are, yeah, because you get all the bad, the bad comments, the good comments. Mm -hmm. So if you let that get to you, mm -hmm. you know that that would definitely put. But also, you know, a lot of people with like depression or anxiety or everything, they can turn it into a positive, which is, I think, why a lot of musicians struggle with mental health is because that's what makes their music beautiful, right? They're pouring their heart into their work. So I think them musicians in general. Struggling with mental illness makes sense to me. Now, um, I don't know if you're like into politics at all, if Not you're really. on, on the right or left. <laughs> uh, did you ever um, look at like Trump and try to diagnose him at some of his? Uh... I mean, I didn't I didn't follow him too okay. closely, to be honest. Um, overall, I try to stay out of the news and all that stuff because I find it very toxic and it affects me to a very deep level um but i know a lot of people said he's like textbook narcissist and i i mean i have seen those qualities in him but yeah i don't know him enough but to you haven't him. you haven't like okay just from like watching you haven't done that like yeah, when you watch him on I tv mean, and you're like this is kind of i mean i i see those narcissistic tendencies but you know i don't know if i could just be him. an act or something you never know right i'd have to get to know him to diagnose him gotcha for anyone right i i don't like diagnosing right away i gotta know them for a while before i'll make a diagnosis okay have you diagnosed us already so far <laughs> like <laughs> like yeah i ain't gonna tell you on camera i'll tell you afterwards <laughs> Auto -analyzing it. i'm trying not to <laughs> Um, she's probably gonna so, tell you alcoholics. For sure. <laughs> it's just one beer, one beer, guys. One beer. I'll probably have another one later. It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm like, come on, really? Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy yeah, early yeah. birthday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. By the time this comes out, it's already been a uh, you know a few days or whatever. But yeah, you'll still be hungover. Soon. I no, nah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Okay. I probably I don't know. Um, so I do want to get into some of these stories because it it is interesting to me. Like. Uh, some of the stuff you went to, mm -hmm. uh, especially I guess the more exciting stories. I guess are in the hospital. Some of the wild, the wild stuff. stuff is in the hospital, uh, right? Compared to <laughs> or the, in general, or, whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
I have seen some wild stuff. I don't know what kind of stuff you hear. I mean, I'm gonna um, you like know, the I, booty juice was crazy. That's crazy. I'll let you explain, but that's kind of that's yeah, kind of wild. Uh, I actually started working in the hospital when I was an intern in grad school. Um, that's when I started there, and then I got hired on. Um, but yeah, so now I'm sure you'll see it all all over the internet too. There's tons of stories about booty juice and, and people in the hospital. Um, so when people are referring to booty juice, they're referring to like an injection of medicine that is supposed to calm them down. So a lot of the times if like there's a lot of fighting between um, clients in the hospital, like each person that was engaging in it usually would get this quote unquote booty juice to calm them down because it can really they can really tear up the place if they want to um and you want it to be a completely healthy environment for everybody so sometimes you know they needed to do that in order to make sure it was safe um but yeah you'll if you even (laughs) google it or instagram i'm sure you'll find a thousand people's stories about their experience with booty juice that's wild. Um, you did say uh, you worked on the story where like mm-hmm. you had a, a chair thrown at you. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. happened? Like, um, you know, honestly, um, it was usually the kids, the kids, you know, the younger kids. Yeah. So usually under like, I would say twelve. Really? That like to throw things. Yeah. Um especially at me yeah i don't think i had many like adults Adults. that ever really threw something at me um they might like throw things and it accidentally come my way but i don't think anyone intentionally would do that except for the younger kids they would then you shit yeah they would try to go for everybody (laughs) i remember like a lot of the conflict was with the little kids like i was getting cussed out by like seven eight-year-olds or yeah, trying to rip into my, <laughs> rip into my heart. They really said some hurtful things, but yeah, I would say it was pretty chaotic on the child unit. But some of the teenagers got rowdy too. So when you, when you're uh, you're saying you work at a hospital, it was, it was a psych ward, right, or uh, that type of? Um, so it's a complete hospital that's just for mental health. Just for mental. Yeah. Health. Um, and they're separated the kids from adults. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. There's a bunch of different units. Uh, adults would be 18 and up. Adolescence was typically like twelve up seventeen, and then twelve and under was a child unit, which we got as young as like three. Really wild, wow. yeah, it's wild. Wow. Yeah, I'm. A three year olds are they talking already or no? They're barely. They're barely talking. So what? Yeah, what yeah, was but I mean, there? sometimes we had clients that didn't talk, that were nonverbal. I remember I had this kid that was. Uh, didn't want to verbalize anything, but he would write things down. With, but it's tough. So a three-year-old gets dropped off by the parents, and then the parents go home, and the kid stays there at three. It can, yeah, it can. Um, so we, when I worked at the hospital, I'm not sure if they do it at every hospital. I would assume so, but you can do a walk-in. But a lot of them come from the emergency room in the hospital mm. that they transported over. Um. Yeah, I find it wild that three-year-olds are were in the hospital, we even four that. and five-year-olds. But that seems a little off, right? 
the only thing you could think of is like, well, like a tantrum, but that's kind of almost normal, right? For kids, especially if they're going to the hospital, I would seem, I mean, I would, I don't know, I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. guessing. I mean, to be admitted in the hospital, you have to be a danger to yourself or others. So sometimes kids do fit that criteria. They jumping Whether, off the coffee table. Yeah. So technically, yes, Damn. they should be in the hospital if they're going to seriously hurt themselves or others. Do they need to be? I don't know. That's a separate thing. Did you ever treat a three-year-old? Yeah. And what was that interaction like for you? I think with kids under a certain age, it's really hard to have therapy with them because they don't talk. They're not going to, you know, be able to sit still and focus on a conversation for that long. So with the three-year-olds, a lot of watching them play and trying to talk to them while they're playing. Hmm. So regular uh, baby talk like, oh, what is that? A dinosaur. Okay. Stuff like that? Um, Usually like how you're feeling. How you're doing, um, how your family is, like, what's it like at home, that type of stuff. But it could be art, too. Wow. That's interesting. I never thought about going that young. Yeah, Yeah, but that's that's why I have an age limit on who I work with in private practice. I don't go under, like, 11 because I find it really difficult for me to do therapy with anyone under that. But there are therapists that specialize in working with kids and doing play therapy and everything like that. That's just not what I'm good at. And I'm aware of that. That's fine. I Yeah, I'm not a good person to work with children. Um, because I, I do like a lot of conversation. I don't mind playing games, but I'm like, I get a little confused on like what would be their goal and how do we get there? with someone that's that young and not really aware of like how therapy really works and stuff like that. I would say, you know, probably nine and up I could work with, but I limited at 12. I usually do really well from like 12 to probably fifties is usually who I work with. Did you see an influx after COVID? Um, I I would say so. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with teenagers, I think a lot of people really, especially teenagers, struggled with being at home for that long and trying to do school online and everything. I think, you know, as a whole, I think the whole world shook and everyone was struggling a bit. But I definitely saw an influx during COVID. Um, I think any time when people are isolated, it's usually not healthy. If I you, agree. Yeah, if you think of them isolating themselves, if you think of solitary confinement or whatever, I don't think it's healthy for someone to They're be gonna start going by crazy. themselves in one place. Yeah, yeah. I I think COVID affected a lot. Of people. I think it still is, to be honest. Now you did say that that you've dealt with kids or just clients that have said some hurtful shit. <laughs> How do yeah. you deal with that? Like a tough day mm-hmm. at work. I'm talking about the worst day at work. What helps you cope through that? Yeah. um, In the hospital, it was easier, I think, um, because you know they're struggling with, like, very heightened acuity and everything. There's a lot going on for them. Um, Even, you know, being admitted to the hospital is stressful. So I think I was able to let go of that a little easier. Um, In private practice, um. I think there's only there hasn't been as much that's like super hurtful or anything. Um, I did have someone almost kind of 
think about <laughs> getting a lawyer um, because I reported child abuse. Um, but I think that was the only thing that really bothered me for days. Because like the fact that you knew that there was child abuse, you reported it or the lawyer part of it? Well, um, it bothered me the lawyer part. It bothered me that they thought I was twisting the child's words to be abuse. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you were treating the child. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was a little confused. There. Uh, yeah, I was okay, treating so you were the child. I was thinking the same way. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was treating the child and the child was reporting that there was the abuse. physical abuse in the home. So I'm a mandated reporter. I had to report it to DCFS. And, you know, DCFS has, I think, 24 hours to start investigating. And I was contacted by the mom real quickly that saying that I t- made the kids say stuff and twist the words. And then she was like, she's, it was all an email too. And she was saying, I'm thinking about getting a lawyer. So I, I was, um, I was talking to my boss about it, and she's like, stop communication right there. Lawyer, um, lawyer up on this side, too. Right. She's like, I'm content- contacting our lawyer. In that case, um, man, that's a tough situation to be in. That's, that's always my fear, to be honest, is getting sued for trying to do the right thing. Or I'm trying to, there is something going on in the home, right? But it's covered up. That's mm. terrifying. And you can't say anything? Right. That's terrifying. Because, you know, DCFS is only going to see what they're saying. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like they could, they can go check and then right. nothing, nothing's here. All right, bye. Exactly. Which is more than likely what could have happened in that case, too. For sure. I think that happens all too often, to be That's honest. Crazy. We saw a lot of that in the hospital, too. But at the same time, we can only take their word for it right we don't really know what's going on in the home but i'm always going to take my client's word if they're saying something's wrong i'm gonna and my guess is you never saw this person again no so never heard from them that's terrible so now you know like all right this person's not getting help they're probably still getting abused and that's what really weighs on you that yeah that really bothered me that really really bothered me i struggled a lot cutting the conversation with mom right there i struggled a lot because i if what the kid was saying was true they needed someone to talk to for sure they needed someone to come and save them and i can only do so much that sucks man because you hear that like what was that netflix documentary with uh the kid from um kelly kelly yeah yeah the, the, uh, fernandez or something yeah oh gabriel gabriel yeah. that honestly has been bugging me the last few days really? i remember watching that documentary i think it was like two years ago or something but yeah that that's that's where it's like your hands are tied right you can't do For anything sure. and like said so dcfs were, is going yeah. to check and all you things. can do is report it right uh, can't steal the kid and protect them i think that that's super terrifying super super terrifying is to know what's going on and you're trying to do something about it and you can't you're like handcuffed you know mm-hmm. like you can't do anything yourself yeah um that wasn't even my last question though like uh as far as like how do you deal with it how do you uh help your own mental health um because i know i i talk to people i try to talk to friends and Mm -hmm. and you know even though i'm dealing with my own stuff Mm -hmm. but you try to help out whoever you can try to listen to them and whatnot but sometimes just even myself i'm overwhelmed you know Mm -hmm. like sounds bad but listening to them and and they're they're whatever they're going through right um and you do that for a living and right. I can only imagine, like, 
at least if I was in your shoes, I'd mm-hmm. be extremely overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely, you know, depends on the day, depends on the week, what my clients are going through, um, what I'm going through, what my family's going through. Um, a lot of my focus is when I get home, you know, I take my work clothes off, I change into comfy clothes, and that gives me a disconnect. Um, I automatically feel like I'm at home hanging out, chilling. Um, so I always suggest that to anyone who has trouble unplugging from their job. Um, I think self-care is huge to be able to manage everything. I spend a lot of time with my family, hanging out with my family because they're my people. They're my favorite people. Of course. Um, and I think that helps a lot. They keep me grounded and everything. And, you know, they're the reason I live. So I think staying um, close with everybody, that's what really keeps me going. My uh, Another last question I have, is there anything that you're kind of numb to because you've done this for so long? Yeah, I think that's something I always got to check myself is to make sure I'm not getting desensitized. For Like, if I have a client that's constantly um, reaching out in crisis mode, and I know the client so well that I know they're not going to hurt themselves or anything else, like, this is what they're struggling at the moment, and they just need some support. Sometimes it does get tiring, like, them saying things to get a reaction out of me. I do have, uh, I have had clients in the past that, do say they're going to do something in order to get a reaction. And once I give them that reaction, they're fine. Um, I think I struggle the most with trying not to check out, to be honest, trying not to check out. Um, And I think, again, it's a boundary thing, which is tough because if someone's freaking out and they want you to help, you want to help. But at the same time, if it's just someone looking for a reaction from you, you need to set some limits, set some boundaries. But it is tough. It is tough to not have compassion fatigue. Um, But I think me personally, I'm always trying to reevaluate myself and make sure that I am doing the best I can. I'm putting my 100% effort into it, and they're getting everything they can get from me. That's just my reminder. They're there for help. You have to help them. Yeah. You got a tough job. Yeah, it's really tough job. right now. Yeah, but yeah. I'm telling you, I think if everyone processed through their trauma, I think mental illness would be a lot less than what it is. But a lot of people have whether, you know, it's childhood trauma or relationship trauma, a lot of us don't even recognize that it's trauma or something that needs to be worked through. So it just sits there and bottles up. And then you're presenting with anxiety or whatever it is, but really it's because whatever happened 20 years ago, right? Mm. So I think a lot of therapists would probably be out of business if we all process through our trauma. So I have two more. How how are we doing on time? We're we're about to start wrapping up. Yeah, Yeah. I got two more things, bro. So you just said the the trauma thing, right? Mm -hmm. If you had to give... Our, our people or the people, mm-hmm. two or three tips on how to figure out if you are dealing with or you have trauma and you have to deal with it. Like, what would be your tips? Like, what should people do mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, I think this is caused by trauma or what should I do next or mm-hmm. how do I work through this? You know, I think sometimes it's really hard for us to evaluate ourselves. 
So I think it's important to some people recognize that they have trauma by talking to their partner, right? They're like, oh, my partner has this childhood or whatever. And their partner tells them like, hey, what you experience is not normal. That's trauma. Sometimes people realize it through whoever they have around them. But some people do go to a therapist that tells them. I've had a lot of clients that come in for presenting issues, whether it's depression, anxiety, or other stuff where I'm like, hey, let's dig back. And it is trauma that they didn't, they weren't even aware of that's considered trauma. I think a lot of times, whether even culturally, right? Some cultures are, um, you keep everything in the family, you, like yelling can be normal, um, hitting can be normal, all of that stuff. But it builds trauma and it sits there for years and years until you process through it. So, I mean, people are going to continue to struggle unless they, they're able to, you know, rewind and try to process through all of that. I think that's the biggest thing. And then the second thing for me, and then I'll let Checo wrap it up. <laughs> Divorce being like at an all-time high. Yeah. What are some of the biggest things that you see, you know, with your clients that mm-hmm. you can say, hey, couples, if you guys can work on this. Mm-hmm. It can save your marriage. I actually do work with a lot of couples too. And the number one thing I've seen, whether actually my my own experiences um, versus professional ones, you know, my clients, Mm -hmm. communication, honestly, is the number one thing, communication um, and respect. I think a lot of times the communication is what struggles and what leads to a lot of the issues in marriages is because they don't know how to talk to each other they always feel like the other person's attacking them. So they're automatically in defense mode and you can't, it just blows up. Right. Um, I always, I think I've told every single couple that I've worked with that need to work on the communication, need to focus on the feelings instead of like, you did this to me. Just say, when you did this, it made me feel this way. You know what I mean? Trying to focus on more of the message you're getting instead of the actual, you know, thing. Because the other person will feel like you're attacking them. It's just how you word things, right? So that's, I mean, even for individuals, communication is key to everything. I agree. Love it. I agree. 100%. Thank you, Sharice, for coming on and uh, educating us. Educating us 100%. Educating us 100%. I mean, I know I didn't say things 100% how I probably wanted, but. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, it was awesome, man. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Anytime every, yeah. I could talk about mental health, you know, it's a great experience. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on if you're uh, <laughs> down to drive another two hours out here. <laughs> Again, I apologize. I didn't know it was that oh, far for you. But, very worth it. Very worth it. Um, if people do want to reach out to you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how can they, uh, how will they be able to reach out to you? Maybe social media or, or I don't know how, mm-hmm. do you want to go straight to the, your your work or um i think it depends on what they're reaching out with right if they're reaching out in crisis mode you probably probably should go through the work work um if people just want to be my friend you know instagram's cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah um email whatever um hey yeah. don't try to use her as a friend and then that's the therapist too right. she, gotta, she like, gotta get paid you gotta pay bro you gotta pay bro <laughs> hey dude you gotta be tripping out with this camera i'm supposed to be looking at that one <laughs> i'm like looking at this one like an idiot 
Um, how can they reach you then? Uh, if they want to be your friend, I get, what would be your Instagram so they can reach you to? What is my Instagram? Um, I think it's Reese Ewood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my Instagram. Um, I don't know if I want to. Sh- yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Work okay. stuff. Yeah. yeah. What, I mean, whatever you want. They'll to find out. me if they want to find me. All right. <laughs> All right. Or any? Uh, is there like a hotline that you, you that you kind of know off the top of your head where you're like, hey, if you're going through something, this um, is probably what you should. There's or the, websites there's or suicide I mean, hotline. Suicide hotline. Um, I can't remember what it was off the top of my That's head. That's probably a good thing. You should not know that <laughs> off the top of your head. I've known people that work for it, and yeah, I think that's that's a difficult thing to do. But um, nine one one, right? <laughs> no, I mean, They'll point sure you to all the right directions. Yeah. What is the other one? Um, is it what is the operator eight 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 or what is it? I have no idea. I've, man, that sucks that we forgot all that. Plus, seven one one, isn't it? I have no idea. Whatever it is, if people are in crisis, though, like go to the emergency room. They're there for mental health too. It's not mm-hmm. just physical health. I can't believe we forgot about the damn operator, dude. Like where you would call and say, "Hey, connect me to the Domino's at whatever," and then they connect you to it. That's still a thing. That was like old school. Like, yeah, wasn't <laughs> that, it? I remember doing that. That probably still yeah. exists, though. Maybe I don't I'm know. I'm pretty sure it does. But I think Google took their job, bro. <laughs> oh, four one one is it, now. You guys no. got me tripping, dude. Like, what is it? <laughs> I have no idea. Bro. That's wild. All right, whatever. It's cool. All right. Well, nine one one. Yeah. Suicide hotline. Um, if you can think of any websites, let me know later on, and I'll oh, link them sure. or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, thank you again. Thank Thank you. You. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, ya saben, thank you guys for listening for watching. Estamos a la otra. Peace. Peace.